Good morning. It's uh, good to be with you again. It'd be great to keep your Bible open to Luke 7. And if you find it helpful, there's an outline for the talk on the inside of the bulletin. Failing to plan is planning to fail. It's a great quote, isn't it? Failing to plan is planning to fail. I like it. You know, the only problem is that every time I see those words, uh, they send me into a cold sweat, my hands start shaking, they make me really nervous. You see, those words, they're on the door of the library at college where I studied for the last few years. And, you know, every time I'd rush in there, two or three days before a big essay was due, I'd rush in, madly trying to find a few more resources, trying to find a few journal articles, a few commentaries to get this big essay done. I'd rush in there and I'd see these words, failing to plan is planning to fail. And I'd just think, yep, I've done it again. I've failed to plan. But look, if you're anything like me, then today's passage is good news. Today's passage ought to be a wonderful encouragement because in today's passage, we, Luke makes absolutely clear for us, God has not failed to plan. God has a plan. God has a plan. It's a plan that he's revealed over and over, time and time again. Uh, through the prophets, guys like Isaiah, guys like Malachi, as we're going to see, he's revealed his plan over and over again through the scriptures. God has a plan. A plan to comfort and forgive and redeem his faithful people. God has a plan to judge and punish disobedient, sinful rebels. And you know, perhaps above all else, what we're going to see this morning is that God's plan, this all-encompassing plan, it's fulfilled in none other, none other than Jesus. Now Luke helps us to see that God has a plan and that it's fulfilled in Jesus by te- uh, relating to us a time when John asks a question. And that's followed by a time when then Jesus himself asks a question about John. And finally in this section Luke gives us this other kind of little bit that's almost like an aside, but it really sums up what this is all about. So let's start by thinking about John's question. And as we wrestle with John's question here, as we hear its answer, what we're going to see is that God has a plan and it's fulfilled in the person and in the work of Jesus. So what is it that John asks here that leads to God's plan being laid out for us? Well, let's have a look. We're in Luke 7 and verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now look, Luke wants us to notice John's question here. It's not deja vu. He makes it obvious for us by repeating it. You see, the question's there twice, word for word, exactly the same. Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but, you know, why does John ask this particular question? 
Why does he ask that question? Well, it seems as though he's actually really not sure who Jesus is. And look, in one sense, that's fair enough. After all, you might remember he's been locked up in prison since chapter 3 when Herod put him there. Do you remember that? And so he hasn't heard any of the things that Jesus has been saying. He hasn't seen any of the things that Jesus has been doing since. It's not until here in verse 18 when his disciples come and they tell him, presumably while he's still there in prison, they come and tell him about all the things that Jesus has been doing and saying. How he's been raising a widow's son how he's been healing a centurion's servant, how he's been making lame people walk, how he's been cleansing lepers, how he's been forgiving sins, how he's been driving out demons, how he's been teaching crowds on mountainsides. And it's not till John hears all this stuff from his disciples that he starts to wonder, could he be the one? Could Jesus be the one we've been waiting for? Or should we just be waiting for another one? But look, friends, you know, the big issue behind John's question, it's not really why he asks the question. The big issue really behind his question is, who even is the one? Like, who or what are John and his disciples waiting for? Now, there's probably a few options, there's a few choices that it could be. The Old Testament gives a few prophecies about people who were supposed to come and do things. But you know, Luke doesn't leave us wondering. He gives us the answer. But it's in this quite fascinating way. You see, as he lays out for us the answer to John's question, he also reveals for us that John's been waiting for, John's been waiting for the one foretold in Isaiah. Let's keep reading, see if you can notice it. But just a word of warning, as we read, it's not immediately obvious, okay? You're going to have to do a bit of work here. So as we read, listen to what we're reading. Remember what's come earlier in Luke and see if this rings any bells, okay? So verse 21. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor. Do those words ring any bells for you? I hope they do because, you know, we've heard almost exactly the same words earlier in Luke, just a few chapters earlier. Remember when Jesus stood up in the synagogue to read from the scroll? The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. In unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to do what? to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Do you see the implication of what Jesus is saying here? 
Look, in one sense, it's nothing new. What we're hearing here is nothing new. Jesus already said back then in chapter 4, he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, I'm the one who is fulfilling this prophecy in Isaiah. But Luke's just making absolutely sure we've got it here. So, friends, have you got it here? Look, make no mistake, Jesus is the one spoken about in Isaiah. Everything he's done in the past four chapters shows it. Jesus is the fulfilment of God's plan revealed in Isaiah. And you know, in Isaiah, God spoke of one who would come and bring recovery of sight for the blind. Just like Jesus did. Isaiah spoke of one who would come and preach good news to the poor. Just like Jesus did. And perhaps more importantly, Isaiah spoke of one who would come and redeem and comfort and bring forgiveness of sins to God's people. Just like Jesus did. You see, friends, Jesus is the fulfilment of God's plan revealed in Isaiah. And make no mistake, that's what Luke wants us to understand here. God has a plan. And God's plan is fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, you know, so paramount is this idea, so all-important is this idea that God's plans are fulfilled in Jesus, that Luke goes on to tell us the exact same thing again. Only this time it's couched uh, in this question that Jesus himself asks about John. So let's have a look at Jesus' question now. But before we keep reading, let me ask you a question. <coughs> have you ever heard of the rule of three? The rule of three. If you haven't heard of it before, basically it's this kind of principle or a stylistic device. It's used in writing or storytelling. The basic gist of it is that things that come in threes are more effective. They're more interesting. They catch the attention more. They're more memorable. You see, the theory behind it is that the, the progression kind of uh, builds up this tension. Where in the first one, the tension's created. And then when it's repeated the second time, the tension's kind of built up. It's enhanced. And by the third time, the tension's finally released as it's all revealed and everything falls into place and it all makes sense. Now, the rule of three. You've probably seen it in action without even being aware of it. You know the story of the three little pigs? That uses the rule of three. So does the three Billy Goats Gruff and Goldilocks and the three bears. And look, if you keep an eye out for it as you read through the Bible, it pops up all over the place. The rule of three. In fact, Luke uses it in the very next section. So let's pick it up from Luke 7 and verse 24. And as we have a look at Jesus' question here, what we're going to see is that he asks the exact same question three times. So keep an eye out for the third one, because that's where it's all going to be revealed. That's where all the bits are going to fall into place, and it's all going to make sense. So verse 24. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. Well, what did you go out to see? 
You see, can you feel the tension building up here by the repetition? Who is John, really? Who did you go out to see? Do you even know? He's not just some kind of a bit of dry grass being blown about and shaken by the wind. He's not just, you know, some kind of pretty boy. It's interesting that phrase there, a man dressed in fine clothes. Literally, it means something like a man in soft, effeminate robes. In other words, Jesus is saying John's not just some kind of dandy prancing around in a castle wearing a frock. So who is John? Who did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, Jesus says, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. You see, friends, John is a prophet. But much, much more than that, he's not just any prophet. He's the one about whom it is written, I will send him ahead of you to prepare your way before you. Now look, that's a quote from Malachi. The last book in the Old Testament, looking forward to the New Testament. And the context there is that Israel, God's people, they're calling on God to come and bring justice. And so God says there in Malachi, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. So do you see, friends? John's not just a prophet. He's more than that. He's the one who will prepare the way for the Lord. He'll prepare the way for the Lord to come and bring justice. He'll prepare the way for the Lord to come and bring a remnant of God's people back to covenant faithfulness. And look, we've already seen from earlier in Luke, John came to prepare the way for Jesus. And now we're being told that John's the one who's come to prepare the way here in Malachi. And look, do you see where we're going here? If John came to prepare the way for Jesus, and John's also the one who comes to prepare the way for the Lord, then look, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the one who fulfills God's plan here in Malachi. Jesus is the one who will come and bring justice. Jesus is the one who will come and bring a remnant of God's people back to covenant faithfulness. Jesus is the one who fulfills God's plan. And look, as important as it is that John comes and prepares the way, far more important than that is who he prepares the way for. And so look, friends, what Luke wants us to see here in this section, it's just what he wanted us to see in the previous section. Jesus is the fulfilment of God's plans, as it's revealed in Isaiah and again as it's revealed in Malachi. Friends, God has a plan, and it's fulfilled in none other, none other than Jesus. Now look, after telling us about John's question and Jesus' question and about how God's plan, it's all fulfilled in Jesus, Luke goes on to give us this other bit. It's almost like a kind of afterthought, an aside. In my Bible, it's got brackets around it. I don't know if it's like that in yours. But you know, it's not really an aside. You see, Luke, he's a master storyteller. He's a genius at crafting the way he narrates events, the way he puts things together, to, con to best to convey a point. 
And look, what seems to be an aside, what seems to be an afterthought here, it's actually the climax of a theme that's been building all the way through this section. You see, in this little aside here, what he reveals for us is a mixed response. It's a mixed response. But look, it shouldn't be a surprise for us. Luke's been warning us that the way people respond to this, the way people respond to the idea that God's plan is fulfilled in Jesus, it's going to be mixed. There's going to be a mixed response to it. I wonder if you noticed the hints that Luke gave us earlier. Have a look back at verse 23. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Look, make no mistake, the things that Jesus was saying, the things he was doing, they were scandalous. This idea that God's plan, it's all fulfilled in Jesus, that was scandalous to Israel, to God's people. And look, people then, people now, they're either going to accept it or reject it. But Jesus says, Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the one who gets on board with God's plan. And what about verse 28? There's another hint for us there. Verse 28. Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. There's heaps you could say about this verse, but notice this at least. There's a contrast there, isn't there? An obvious contrast. You see, the point here is that this era of fulfilment, when Jesus fulfills God's plans, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be surpassingly great. It's going to be so great that all previous ways of measuring greatness are going to be ripped up and completely rewritten. Greatness in the new era, greatness in God's plan, will be defined as being born again, being born anew, being part of God's family in the kingdom of God. But look, there's a contrast too, isn't there? There's ones who are in the kingdom and there's those who aren't. There's those who are on board with God's plan and those who are not. And you see Luke's just building up this picture for us that we ought to expect a mixed response here. And that's exactly what we see. So let's pick it up from verse 29. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they'd been baptised by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptised by John. Now again, there's a lot going on in these couple of verses. But at least notice on a basic level, there's two groups of people here, aren't there? Can you see the two groups? There's those who've been baptised by John and there's those who haven't. Now you might remember from earlier in Luke again, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism preparing people for the arrival of Jesus, getting them to turn back to God's word and his promises. In other words, John's baptism was preparing people for God's plan to be fulfilled. And look, those who've been baptised by John, they accept God's plan. They, uh, they've repented, they're prepared for Jesus, they're ready for God's plan to be fulfilled. 
But those who haven't been baptised by John, they haven't repented. They're not prepared for Jesus. They're not ready for God's plan to be fulfilled. In fact, they've rejected God's plan for themselves. The Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose, rejected God's plan for themselves because they couldn't believe that it was fulfilled in Jesus. Now, if you look a little bit ahead, Jesus goes on to talk about children playing in the marketplace and as they play, they're calling out to each other, look, we sang a happy song, we sang a a jig and you didn't dance. We sang a sad song, we sang a lament, a funeral song and you didn't cry, you didn't weep. And the point of what Jesus is saying here, right? what he's getting at is that the people who haven't been baptised by John, they just don't get it. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and they said, he's got a demon. But the son of man, Jesus, he came eating and drinking and they said about him, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They just don't get it. They don't get that John was preparing the way for Jesus. They don't get that God's plan, it's all fulfilled in Jesus. Now look, we've got to be careful where we go at this point. Because this section here in Luke, it's not all about us. It's not all about us. This is about God. It's about Jesus. This is all about how God has a plan and it is fulfilled in Jesus. And look, friends, we've got to get be clear about this. We've got to get this right. You see, the fact is, if, if you don't get it, if you won't get it, if you, if you won't accept it, it doesn't change the fact. God has a plan and our rejection of that, our disobedience to that, doesn't change the fact that God has a plan. God has a plan and it is unstoppable. I'm not sure if you're much of a rugby league fan, but either way, you've probably heard that the NRL Grand Final is on the Savo. And look, playing in that game will be two of the best fullbacks that currently play the game, Billy Slater and Ben Barber. And look, These guys are gurus. They score tries, they stop tries, they set tries up for their teammates. But do you know what it is that makes them so good? It's not that they're unreadable. It's not that they're unpredictable. They just do the same things over and over again that they've been doing countless times through the season. No, the thing that makes them so good is that they're basically unstoppable. You see, opposition players talk about them like this. They say, knowing what they're going to do, that's no problem. We know what they're going to do. But it's one thing to know what they're going to do, but trying to stop them when they do it, well, that's another whole thing altogether. Friends, that is just like God's plan. Do you see? It's not unpredictable. It's not unreadable. He's told us what his plan is over and over, time and time again, through the prophets, through Isaiah, through Malachi. It's written here in the Bible. We know what God's plan is. But look, the thing is, it's unstoppable. 
So what are you going to do when it comes? You know, all this year as we've been working our way through Luke and Ephesians and Isaiah and maybe especially Isaiah, we've been reminded time and time again that God has a plan and it's fulfilled in Jesus. We've been reminded that God's plan is massive. It's so massive that whether you accept it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's a good plan or not, it doesn't matter, it will happen. It's a plan that encompasses the whole of creation, a plan to punish and a plan to purify, a plan to destroy and a plan to renew, a plan that whether you like it or not involves you, a plan to bring all things together under Christ's rule. And look, friends, the big question this morning is, have you accepted God's plan? Well, look, we've been thinking a lot about the fact that God has a plan and that it's fulfilled in Jesus. I want to leave you this morning with God's plan as it's described at the end of Malachi. You see, Jesus fulfills God's plan as it's described in Malachi. I want to leave you with how it's described there. And look, just listen to these words. And as you listen, just ask yourself one question, one simple question. Have I accepted God's plan? Will I accept God's plan? This is from Malachi 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord, those who were on board with God's plan, talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble and, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, you are the Lord Almighty. You are sovereign. You know all things, you are are powerful over everything. Everything is yours and you rule it. And Father, we praise you because you have a plan. And when you speak, you don't speak lightly. You remember your words, you remember your promises and you are faithful and just and you keep your word. Father, we thank you that all your promises are yes in Jesus. Thank you that we could be reminded this morning that your plan is fulfilled in Jesus your plan to punish but also to purify. Father, please, we pray, 
We want to be people who are on board with your plan. We want to be people who trust in Jesus. And so, Father, we pray, please give us faith. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.